Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast. And here's your host. You just don't want to talk, really. I'm just about that action, boss. You about to go get it. You, you, you just like to do it. That's what it is. I ain't never seen no talking with me, nothing. Michael Preston. Really, I mean, yeah, talking doesn't win you anything. Just about that action, boss. I love Marshawn Lynch. Man, why couldn't that dude have stuck around longer? Been healthier. He just, he ran nasty, man. He ran nasty. I love that guy. Theo Lawson going to join us in a little bit, uh, analyze a little bit more of this 9-1 and football team and a Colorado game that I was just never really worried about. Is that kind of weird to say? That I was just never really truly concerned about the outcome of that football game despite those drives sputtering in the first half. And I think at some point ESPN put up a graphic that like Washington State had run like 33 plays in Colorado territory and the Buffs had run three it was just a matter of them not finishing drives, and you kind of knew they were going to figure that out at some point. It's not like this Colorado defense is suffocating. We talked about it last week with Brian Howell. Very middle of the road as far as the Pac-12 is concerned. They were going to figure it out at some point. You just kind of had that feeling. And they did. We'll talk a little bit more about that game with him. I'm going to give you some thoughts on uh, what Mike Gundy said earlier this week using a lot of coded words to talk about players who transfer uh, in the NCAA. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Uh, and as always, Dunderhead of the Week, ask Michael anything as well. Um, I think I've gotten to the point with this football team where I've just stopped wondering how it's happening and I'm going to sit back and enjoy the ride. And it's kind of weird that it took me 10 games and three straight weeks with a number eight ranking in the college football playoff rankings and a lead in the Pac-12 North. And again, the Pac-12 championship spot or the Pac-12 North championship spot coming down to the Apple Cup again. I, I, I've i said too many times on this show that I was wrong and we don't do the whole glad to be wrong crap. I was out and out wrong. Four and eight. I was so very wrong. And most anybody was wrong. I mean, I, I really think if you pick this team to win 10 games, 11 games, you're a homer. And that's fine, but that's not honest-to-God analysis of where this football team was before the season started. But to say they have exceeded expectations uh, would be underselling the point a bit. Because I I thought that Colorado game at the beginning of the year was not a very winnable one. I thought Colorado would be a better football team than they were 
last year. They've now dropped five straight games after running through what has turned out to be a pretty easy part of their schedule. And WSU was going to struggle in Boulder. They have the last two times they played there. They did win that game under Paul Wolf, but they did not win that game two years ago in Boulder. So I thought that, you know, this was going to be a game they were going to lose at the beginning of the season. And then on Saturday, kind of just no matter what, I never really thought that they were going to lose that football game. Mike Leach clearly did not respect Colorado's offense. He had no reason to outside of that one long run they ripped off with McMillan. They didn't really move the ball. I mean, doing the very quick math in my head, Steven Montez was under six yards per attempt. Now, so was Gardner Minshew. But Colorado couldn't sustain a drive. They couldn't do anything. I mean, look, all, all of their, the longest drive they had, two drives of seven plays, one ending in a fumble, the other ending in a punt, and it took them seven plays to get 39 yards. Their longest time of possession was two minutes and seven seconds. That is insane to me. So they went punt, touchdown. Here's how things went for them after that. Punt, 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 half. Fumble, punt, 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 fumble, interception. Like, can you blame Mike Leach for going for it on four? I don't even know how many times he went for it on fourth down, but can you blame him for going for it? He went for it three times on fourth down, never made it once. Washington State had the ball for 41 minutes and 46 seconds of that game. And I'm not a time of possession guy. I hate looking at time of possession because it doesn't really tell you a whole lot about a game most of the time. Most of the time, it doesn't tell you a whole lot about a football game. It told you a whole lot about this one. Washington State's defense was just not giving up sustained drives to Colorado. They were not allowing them to sustain long drives. Again, That longest drive they had outside of the touchdown score was 56 yards and ended in a fumble at the Washington State 32. That was right. I believe that was the Mike Leach defensive timeout dot TM that Jahad Woods on the very next play ripped the ball away from the ball carrier. They just could not maintain a drive. And Mike Leach knew that. Mike Leach knew that, that this offense just could not do that against his defense. Now, granted, they got lucky. I can't remember who missed who fell down and caught that ball from Montez, fell down and he would have had probably green pasture to the end zone and a couple of tipped pa- and a couple of passes that were thrown incorrectly to the receiver who was open. I will grant you they got lucky. Chenault dropped a couple of passes too, but that's also what happens in college football. Jeff Neusser will tell you David Shaw has made a living off of college kids making a mistake in a football game for years now. But for me, that game never really felt like it was getting out of control. It never really felt like Washington State wasn't in control of that football game. And it showed in that second half when Colorado was completely gassed. Touchdown, downs, touchdown, punt, touchdown, end of game. Colorado had nothing left in the tank. 
They had nothing left in the tank. They've been out there for 40 minutes that game at out. Al- and, and again, you're better conditioned when you're at Colorado to play at altitude, but I don't care how well conditioned you are to play at altitude. Those kids were gassed. They were straight gassed at the end of that. And it just, to me, I just, it never, never fell out of control. I just had this, it, it, and it's weird. It's that nagging feeling that this year is is putting into you that they were just going to win that football game. That's what was going to happen. I just, I just knew it. I don't know how to describe it. It was just a thing I knew. James Williams ran the ball well again. Max Borgie ran the ball exceptionally in a return to his home state. Gardner Minshew ran for a touchdown, for God's sake. Desmond Patman continues his surge into being arguably the best receiver on the team. Calvin Jackson came alive. Defensively, what a ball game for everybody. Three sacks in that. Logan Tago continues to pick up sacks. Six tackles for a loss. Three forced fumbles, an interception. That was a thoroughly dominating performance. And it was nice after four weeks of, or three weeks rather, of Oregon coming back in the second half, Stanford, Wazoo needing to come back, and California just kind of constantly being a nail-biter. It's kind of nice to, you know, in the second half... Washington State just, they had their hands on the wheel of the car that was this game and everything was going to be fine. It was kind of nice to have that for the first time in a while. It's been a little while. We had that in the first half against Oregon. I think we all clenched up a bit in the second. It's fine to admit that. We could all do that. But they they knew what was going to happen here. And again, I think that's, the confidence of this team we didn't suspect coming into this year was that apparently the rest of the world did not know they were this good. Myself included. A vast majority of people included. The world did not know this football team was this good. And again, we had every reason to. We'll talk about it with Theo a little bit. Assistant coaching turnover. Uh, player turnover. Um, the tragic loss of a teammate. It just... This this season had every reason to go wrong. And I think sometimes I forget that the resiliency of college-age kids can kind of go... I, I don't want to say unnoticed, but you, you don't think about the fact that they are some of the most resilient kids, especially in a football team out there. Gardner Minshew has provided that leadership they so craved. With the loss of Tyler Holinsky. And he has provided the moxie and the swagger and everything else they need. Because he is he is older than just about everybody on that team. And I don't care what kind of organizational structure you're in. Having somebody to look up to age-wise, experience-wise can help things a great deal. And everyone on that team has had that guy to look up to. And he has stepped in and he has just absorbed that role. And he has taken it on. No questions asked. I'm going to do this. It has been a sight to really behold this team that at 9-1, number 8 in the CFP, two weeks before the end of the season. Raise your hand 
if you had Washington State at 9-1, and one, number 8 in the CFP, and leading the Pac-12 North with two weeks to go left in the season. Good. I don't see any hands. I've just... I'm going to sit back and enjoy whatever the hell happens. Because this this has been inexplicable. And I... We have tried to explain this 19 ways to Sunday. You know, over the last however many weeks. And and I and I cannot come up with an explanation other than they are much better than we thought they were. These coaches are performing a miracle. These players are performing a miracle. And I'm just going to enjoy it. And now you get to come home to face Arizona in the bitter cold, by the way. If you're going to be there at the game, please bundle up. You get to come home to face a team that I am a little worried about the look ahead with them. Because this game, in terms of winning the Pac-12 North, it truly does not matter. It, if you want to look at, in terms of winning the conference, and I, I don't think anybody ahead of them in the CFP is going to lose this week, because this is the annual SEC plays crappy teams week. And it, it just, they haven't moved in the CFP. I've, I've not looked at who everybody in the top seven is playing. But I, I worry a little bit about this being a look ahead. Because, again, this game truly does not matter. They could lose this game, and the stakes are still the same in the Apple Cup. They are exactly the same. They could win the game, and the stakes are still exactly the same. The only thing that would change it if they win is if Washington somehow inexplicably lost to Oregon State. And I, that... I I would be truly shocked if that happened. That would that might go up there among the more shocking results of my lifetime if that happened. So I, I I'm a little worried. And this is a an Arizona team that has Khalil Tate back and has the old Khalil Tate back, the kid with a cannon for an arm, who can literally he does a great Gardner Minshew Uncle Rico impression. He can throw it over them their mountains. His whatever nagging injury he had is over. And I mean the dude pitched it all over the yard against Colorado. He averaged damn near 16 yards per attempt. That is ass nine. And they had a not only did they have a short week, they had that Friday game against Colorado. They had a bye week coming into this. They had a bye week coming into Pullman. So, they, they are going to be well prepared. And not only are they excellent with Khalil Tate, J.J. Taylor is an excellent rusher too. This is a team that presents problems for you if you are Washington State. J.J. Taylor averages damn near 6 yards a touch. He's got 1,221 yards on the season. That is very impressive. These guys present a problem. They present a matchup problem in that way. In that this is arguably the best offense Washington State will have seen since the Oregon game. Stanford maybe too. But with how Arizona's been playing, you can kind of put them up on that pedestal with those teams lately. So, 
Khalil Tate fully healthy again, and with that arm, and with J.J. Taylor. Arizona's defense is very middle of the road. They're not great against the pass, which is encouraging. But with what I suspect will be a pretty empty Martin Stadium, because it's the start of Thanksgiving break, and the students are going to pick one game or the other to go to, and they're going to pick the Apple Cup, and people will pick one game or the other to go to, because driving back from Pullman on a Sunday to drive back there on a Thursday night or early Friday can... Be a little tough on the old psyche. Combined with everything, I'm a little worried about this football game. Me, personally. This group of players has not given me a reason to be worried because they don't seem to take anybody lightly. But, I personally, due to years of watching Washington State football, am worried about it. Come out with your hair on fire like you have, won 12 straight at home, rack it up to lucky number 13. And I I think this team is equipped to beat Arizona. But this could very quickly devolve into a shootout. And I like Washington State in a shootout. They're favored by about, I think, nine, nine and a half last I saw. But I, I, I still worry about them looking past this one to the Apple Cup. Because that is where it is all on the line. Not this game. Not, there's virtually nothing on the line here. Keep the eyes on the prize here. Because 10 wins. ten That is the prize. The win column ticking to double digits for the first time in 15 years. First time in 15 years the win column goes to two digits. That is the prize this weekend. And I I will start carving plaques for every member of this football team if that happens. I don't know how to, but I will try. (laughs) Ten wins is a possibility this season. Or this weekend, rather. I guess this season, too. Think about that from where we were at the beginning of the year. I am gobsmacked. And that is why I am just going to enjoy whatever this team wants to do the next few weeks. Theo Lawson joins us next here on the Hoops Center. Here on the Coog Center Hour, it's now our distinct honor to welcome in for the first time since he helped us preview the team in August, Theo Lawson of the Spokesman Review. He covers Washington State University football. And Theo, I, I said in the open and I said in a kind of a series of tweets on, I think it was Sunday, you know, I, I don't know what is going on. This team, you know, on paper had no business to be this good. They were voted to finish fourth or fifth in the Pac-12 North. They're going to play for the Pac-12 North Championship regardless of what happens this weekend in the Apple Cup. Theo, what the hell's going on? 
Yeah, I could complete bananas. I, I, uh, I you know, I, I picked this team to win uh, six games to go six and six, and, and and make a bowl game, make make a very bad bowl game. And uh, but when I picked six wins, I think people looked at me sideways a little bit. So the fact that they are nine and one, a chance to uh, to, to to win the Pac-12 here, uh, potentially as early as this weekend. Although I, I expect you to have to beat Oregon State. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but but just the fact that we're talking about this position with 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 this team, all that they've lost, and the fact that uh, that a few people in the country knew. Gardner Minshew was before August, and now that there's not a college football fan in the country who doesn't know who he is, and um, I, you know, I, I think that the defense is playing a lot better than most most expected, mm-hmm. especially the defensive line, considering what they lost and what they brought back. So, I think I think in just about every category that this team is kind of outperforming its expectations, and I think it just kind of goes to show what uh, what Mike Leach has built. That that even if you if, even if you do lose the, 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 these these key pieces, they're they're going to find a way to rebuild, and, and, and maybe maybe they were a little bit deeper than than we thought they were. Mm-hmm. So. Um, the, the fact that they are nine and one is astonishing, and I don't think they're they're done quite yet. So I, I think they, they they may have a few more tricks up their sleeve. We'll, we'll see what happens here here in the next couple of weeks. You know, I've I've gone over I don't even know how many times in the past. You know, you deal with about as many things as you can as it's possible to deal with for a team in the off season. But between your starting quarterback taking his own life, he's the friend of many people on that team, to just about every assistant coach departing, to needing to break in a new quarterback, to your coach having a dalliance with Tennessee perhaps. Is there just something different about this football team mentality-wise? Because, you know, I, you can get those superlatives out all you want. You know, we're close, we fight for each other, all these other things. But is there just something about this group of kids and these coaches that is different than the other teams you've covered? It definitely seems like a tight team, and I, I think I think that, that that's partially because there are a lot of seniors who have played together, and that this is a pretty good group of of, of play not only of football players, but but a pretty gr- good group of people. And I think that I think they're pretty high quality guys, and I know that that's probably a cliche, but but I think mm-hmm. it is the truth. And we're, we're not talking about uh, things happening off the field too often with this team, and so I think it's a pretty good group of of, of, of college athletes, and then and then the fact that. Uh, that I, I think they were brought together pretty tightly by Tyler Holinsky's suicide, and I, I think I think they are playing for something extra this season. And you can you, you can see it. Uh, you know, they're they're not they're not talking about it quite as much as they were during the off season, obviously. But but you still see the tweets, and you know, it's pretty clear that 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 they're still playing for Tyler here. And so I think that's brought them together. And uh, you know, I, I think it's a group that's really having a lot of fun. But but I think they are able to balance having fun and embracing kind of every moment that they have they've had with uh, with still kind of looking forward to the next game and. and and really focusing because I think it was kind of the opposite last year where uh, a few good things happen. They start off six and zero, and then uh, and then go down to Cal and lose, uh, you know, thirty-seven to three. So I, I think it's a team that that's able to, to to kind of soak it all in at the same time, understand what, what what's happening, and and, and kind of uh, zero zero in on on the next game. And they really haven't had a slip up yet. You're kind of waiting for that game where. They, they, they do lose yeah. by 20 points to a team that they're supposed to beat, but but they just haven't had it, and I, I'm not sure that's going to happen this year. I think, you know, you kind of touched on it a little bit there with the passing of Tyler Holinsky. Was Gardner Minshew just kind of the guy they needed, so to speak, a guy who came in who was not involved with the program prior to his arrival on campus this summer, and a guy who had played four years of college football already and had pretty much done everything he needed to do in college football was he just kind of that per you know you know keep a Heisman campaign and the mustache and the aviators in the post game show or in the post game press conference aside leave leave all that behind was he just kind of the guy those 104 other players needed to be in that locker room with them this year 
Yeah, and I think I think you you could you could say that for for both sides. I think it was a perfect marriage because I, I'm not sure if there was a quarterback in the country that needed uh, Washington or that needed Washington State more than more than Gardner Minshew did. And you kind of understand everything that he's been through throughout his career from uh, kind of playing a little bit earlier at East Carolina than, than I think he wanted to. I, I think he he, he played a redshirt there and didn't get a chance to do that. And, you know, obviously it was 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 very under recruited coming out of uh, coming out of high school and and uh, didn't get the chance to, to play at Troy you know, like, like he thought he, he probably would and um, played really well in, in junior college but, but that didn't really uh, uh, give him any opportunities to play at the power five level so so I think uh, I, I think the timing was, was perfect for Gardner Minshew I think the timing was obviously perfect for Washington State with everything that happened with Tyler Helensky so you know I, I'd say nobody needed this more than Gardner and then nobody mm-hmm. needed Gardner more than, than Washington State and I, I think I think it was was the perfect time and I think uh, I think having an outsider come in and, and, and not really kind of being aware of everything that's happened obviously he, he's, he's he's filled in once he gets here but um he wasn't around that so, so i'm not sure he's kind of carrying that uh i don't know if you want to call it call it baggage but uh he just doesn't have to worry about that and he, right. he can come in and, and kind of fit right in right away and i think he was the leader that they needed and someone who could really kind of band the team together and uh, maybe in, in some ways kind of make them for, for you know not forget about tyler but but make it so it wasn't as much of a distraction as, as, as it possibly mm-hmm. could have been i'm not sure if it would have been that either way but uh, but but i think he has come in and, and, and really kind of fit his role and i think that, that that's exactly what they wanted him to do nothing more nothing less and i think you're seeing that uh, you know 11 weeks in here I want to talk about uh, one guy uh, in particular who's been having a pretty monster season. You know, we can really point to, to anybody on this team who's having a great season, as, as one should when they're ranked number eight in the country and nine and one uh, through their first ten games. But I've, I've been waiting for this from Desmond Patman for two years now. And he finally kind of got his shot with the departure of Isaiah Johnson Mack and of Tavares Martin. And he was going to be sharing some snaps with Aesop Winston at the beginning of the year, but now it pretty much looks like it's a it's a 50-50 split if it's not more leaning on Dez at this point. He had his third 100-yard game against Colorado. Uh, Theo, what's been the biggest difference for you between last year's Dez Patman and this year's Dez Patman? Because for me, I'm, I'm just... The kid has all the physical tools in the world, and I'm just thrilled that he's finally putting it all together. Yeah, I remember having a conversation with, with Matt Chazanow down in Lewiston maybe three or four days in fall camp, and... I think he said, you know, if if Desmond Patman figures it out, NFL teams are going to be looking at him because because mm-hmm. he just does he does have the size. I think he has added the speed. You don't really look at Desmond as as, as a fast guy, but but I think he is a pretty long strider who, who I think once he gets going, uh, is a pretty explosive athlete. So he has that. And he has great hands, and so so he has everything that that you know NFL teams are kind of looking for. And so I think once Desmond kind of finally realized he had all those things and and, and started realizing that. Okay, I am four four inches taller than, than most corners who, who are going to be guarding me, and I, I do have this this, this crazy mismatch. Um, let me let me take advantage of this, and, and I, I think a, a few weeks ago Mike Leach talked about that. He, he had a few breakout games, and I think his first 100 yard game, and he said that Desmond finally realized, you know. What he has, and so I, I think uh, for whatever reason, it, it takes some uh, some players longer to figure that figure that out than others, but. He finally has, and it's come at the right time. I think also, kind of, kind of like you, like you alluded to, just the opportunity he has now. Isaiah Johnson Mack was going to be the guy last year. He was going to get the majority of the reps, and understandably because he was a was a pretty incredible athlete. But uh, I think finally the opportunity that the fact that he, he's kind of finally grown into his body and uh, mentally realized what, what he has and mm-hmm. his assets. Uh, um, he certainly has a mismatch problem, and I, I think he's only going to get better. And um, I, I think it is the perfect kind of blend of of, of two Z receivers there. 
Aesop with, with the great hands and kind of the separation he, he can create and kind of his, his, his clutch ability to come up with, uh, with big plays late in, late in the fourth quarter has, has won them two games. And then uh, obviously in, in certain matchups, you obviously like Desmond Patman out there because um, he, he's going to get most balls thrown to him and he's, he's, he's going to have at least two to three inches on, on most corners. I want to talk about uh, one other thing on offense before we move to defense, Theo, and that's uh, the offensive line. They lost three of their five starters uh, from last year into this year. You lose an All-American in Cody O'Connell, and you know everybody else they lost was pretty darn good as well. Uh, but this year they are better, and that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. If you're asking most anybody, when you lose 60% of your stars in the offensive line, you don't expect the you know the graph to continue going up. They were only giving up like one sack, something like every 65 or so passing attempts, which is insane given how much this team passes. Uh, does that what is that is is that just because of how good they are? I think it's it's got to be a combination of how good they are and how willing Gardner Minshew is to move the pocket a little bit when there is that pressure he needs to get away from, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think uh, you know I, I keep trying to find what, what what the secret is, and I'm, I'm asking Mason Miller, I'm asking Mike Leach, asking the offensive lineman, what, what's what's the secret? What like what what don't we know about about uh, what you guys are doing behind the scenes that that's allowed this to happen? Losing guys like Cole Madison and Cody O'Connell, and mm-hmm. you know another uh, you know veteran and BJ Salmonson. So um, I'm not sure if there is anything. I, I think Mason Miller has brought some fresh ideas to the table. Um, I, I wonder if, if things almost got a little bit stale with with Clay McGuire, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and maybe they needed someone to come in and, and kind of introduce some some, some new concepts. Uh, Mason Miller is a, a pretty high tempo guy. He comes from a military background, so I think if, if anything, his energy is, is pretty infectious, and, and I think the players have have caught onto that. So. And then, I, then I think the, the fact that you're, you're just bringing in some, some new players. Obviously, Abe Lucas is is a giant over there at right tackle that that will be playing in the NFL possibly within the next three years. So mm-hmm. I think I think the fact that you add him, he, he was redshirting last year and he did that year. And Liam Ryan's a really good player that that was maybe a little bit better than, than people thought he he could be. So blending in some some, some new pieces with a new offensive line coach. Um, and, and then I think I think like like you alluded to, Gardner Minshew is is not going to be a quarterback that sits there and, and takes sacks because he doesn't that doesn't like to get hit so uh, you know I, I think that i think that is that is a change uh, for whatever reason luke falk uh, just kind of got pummeled back there last year and, and wasn't uh, as willing to throw the ball away or, or just didn't have quite the uh, quite the awareness that, that gardner shown and obviously gardner mentioned with, with his mobility has the ability to kind of get out of the pocket and then and, and, you know already a few rushing touchdowns and even when he's not uh, scoring he's getting first downs and, and kind of getting himself out of there and uh, throwing the ball away so so i think it's a combination of those things and i i still do want to know what what the offensive line's doing that, that, that we don't know about because it is still incredible that uh, that you lose two uh, two All Pac-12 players, you know, an All-American and NFL draft pick, and, and somehow get better and, and maybe even improve at those positions individually. Mm-hmm. So, um, pretty incredible, and, and kind of uh, kind of shows shows you what the, what they're going to be about here 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 in the next couple of years. And you only lose Andre Dillard, so um, I think it could be could be a pretty special group here here for the next uh, two three years. They have a quarterback draw now. That's all. That that is what is makes difference to me in the world. Is they they run a QB draw now and on a it was like a fourth and two again or fourth and one against Stanford. They went five wide and I was screaming at the TV. Draw draw draw. Uh, Tracy Clay's. I, I I probably can't say enough about the job he's done on defense this year. You kind of mentioned. Uh, you know we did not. You know you me 
anybody didn't expect the defense to be nearly this good this year. Getting Peyton Pelour back has certainly helped things an awful lot. But, you know, besides Tracy Clay's coming in and instead of saying, you guys are going to do it my way, he says, look, we're going to do it your way because, you know, Alex Grinch did it this way. So we're going to introduce some new things, but we're pretty much just going to stick with that because that's what you guys know. Besides that, is it, is it just the defensive mind of his that is making this defense so good? Or is there something else he's doing that we're not really noticing? Yeah, I think I think it's that. I think I think they're 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 better inside the red zone. I think that was one thing that he really wanted to emphasize. Is uh, you know, as good as that defense was last year, they they, they were pretty awful in the red zone. And mm-hmm. I think you can look at the numbers and, and see that they're that they're improving. They're they're still not perfect there, and I think they still want to get better. But uh, that that was one category that that he really wanted to improve upon. Um, you don't see quite as many turnovers this year, of course. Uh, the, the exception being last Saturday, where where they had three and turned two of those into touchdowns. But not as many turnovers. But 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 I think they are getting a lot of a kind of forcing three and outs pretty frequently uh, you, you saw that saturday um so so i think i think they're they're, they're doing a lot of the same thing that you know I, I, talking to, to to the linebackers early on in, in fall camp I, I think they have a little bit more freedom to, to roam around back there and i think they're blitzing a little bit more than they were last year so um you know i i think i think it's pretty much the, the same concept I, I think it's it's the players kind of understanding the concept a year a year better uh a few of the younger players getting more experience um, again i kind of go back to the defensive line and how shocked i am that uh, you know Taylor Comfort wasn't supposed to be playing football this fall and wasn't supposed to have a scholarship and wasn't supposed to be a, their starting nose tackle, but, but I think he's been effective. Nick mm-hmm. Big and uh, Will Rogers and, and Willie Taylor. So a lot of guys that, that, that you know fans wouldn't have known about last year are really stepping up, and I, I don't think you could have expected that or, or uh, predicted that, especially kind of during fall camp when uh, this was a defensive line that had just lost a, a top uh, you know nose tackle prospect. Mm-hmm. And Nam Diaguaya was hurt and wasn't, wasn't sure what his status was going to be. And really you're, you're, you're integrating uh you know two, two or three new guys in there that, that really haven't played college football you know yeah. to, to any extent so um, I, I think it's pretty incredible i want to move uh to the part of the defense that i think you know is obviously going to be pretty tested on saturday against arizona the secondary uh that's probably the one area on defense that fans and i would assume the coaches have not been too thrilled with uh so far this year and it, at least it seems to me uh, lately, and others for our esteemed website, that uh, especially during that Stanford game, just pretty much any time a ball got thrown towards J.J.R. Sega Whiteside, the referee's hand was already on the flag, and there seemed to be an awful lot of calls that are very close or questionable when it comes to P.I. and holding. I know Darian Moulton, Marcus Strong, not having the best year uh, they are. Is there a reason why you think the secondary is struggling a bit? Jalen Thompson's been playing well, I thought, Skylar Thomas at times too, but it's been a real struggle outside. It seemed to me. Yeah, you know, I, I, th- I think you can kind of look at the, 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 those few games. Stanford, of course, being, being the one where, where they are hit with uh, four mm-hmm. uh, PI calls, and I think USC w- w- was kind of the, the wake up call for them. They, they had played pretty well the first three games, and then didn't, didn't really play any any any, any non conference opponents that were going to throw the ball out and really test them. So I think yeah. I think USC was a wake up call, and um, facing just just that kind of caliber of athlete at USC, and then obviously the mismatch problems that, that Stanford presents with 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 their big, tall, uh, you know, kind of tree like receivers. And, and tight ends, um, you know, I, 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 I think I think those guys kind of uh, you know pose problems to just about every every secondary they play. Um, kind of when you look at the numbers, it, it is pretty shocking because it, it does seem like that is the worst part of their defense this year. But but they are still third in the Pac-12 and in passing yards uh, mm-hmm. per game allowed at, at 198. So I think I think they're playing a little bit better than than, than people get, get, give uh, give them credit for because you, you do see a lot of penalties and a lot of these things that that, that weren't happening last year and. Jalen Thompson isn't uh, intercepting as many passes, and 
I think uh, he's he's drawing a few more uh, a few more calls too. So um, I'm I'm not sure if if there's a standout player back there right now. I think getting Sean Harper back would would be a huge boost for them, especially uh, coming into to, to the last few weeks where you're going to play a Washington team and potentially a, a, another a pretty good team in the Pac-12 South uh, if, if you do get to the title game. So I, I think getting him back would help and kind of having the rotation back to normal where you're only bringing Marcus Strong up on as a backup, uh, you know, I, I think that helps too. So um, I, I think it is a category that they probably need to, to, to work on, but I'm not sure if they're going to see any, any, any more teams that are going to throw the ball like uh, like Stanford, like USC. And I'm not sure if there are any, any other big uh, matchup problems receiver wise that they're going to see here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Khalil Tate's been, been a little bit better throwing the ball. So I, I think you do worry a little bit about Arizona, but I think you also have to focus more on, on their run game and what JJ Taylor can do. Sean Harper is uh, happy and healthy. I'm assuming that's uh, that's what it is, right? Do, doing everything that that they've asked him to do. Yes, yeah, yes. That's right. Uh, <coughs> <coughs> sorry. Uh, okay. Uh, we talked about the Arizona game a little bit, uh, and then closed out the season with the Apple Cup in Washington. Two games at home, uh, riding a 12-game home winning streak uh, as well. Uh, for you, Theo, this Arizona game. Um, do you worry about them looking past this at all? I mean, I know Arizona hung a lot of points on them last year, uh, and they're and you know they know they're a good team, but the crowd is not going to be as energized. The stadium's not going to be very full, and quite frankly, uh, if we're being honest with ourselves, uh, they can lose this game and still win the Pac-12 North if they beat Washington. They don't have to win. Uh, this football game to get to the Pac-12 championship. The only one that matters is the Apple Cup. Uh, would you worry at all about, uh, not necessarily the staff, maybe them too, but of, of everybody on this team, maybe kind of looking at Arizona and going, okay, we don't really need this one, so why am I going to worry about it? Yeah, it kind of kind of feels like a like a trap game in a few different ways. You obviously mentioned a few of them, and and, and the fact that Arizona uh, did kind of look like a matchup problem for them last year down down in Tucson. Um, mm-hmm. A few a few explosive plays really broke that broke that game open, and whatever they were doing defensively early on the game kind of worked against the, against the Cougars. They threw a bunch of picks, and um, I, you know I, I'm not really sure if it's a game that they look past because I think this team has, has kind of overcome that. And like I kind of alluded to the, the Cal game last year, I think that was probably an opponent that they probably overlooked, and a few players have have told us as much and um you just haven't really seen that slip up yet this year and maybe it's still going to happen maybe arizona is that game where they're, they're looking at the apple cup and thinking about the apple cup and knowing knowing the stakes that, that, that are attached to the apple cup but i think i think it's a group that's old enough and has kind of been through that um, enough times to know that you know you're, you're not going to beat eastern washington if you, if you overlook them you're not going to be cal you're not going to beat arizona if you overlook a team like that mm-hmm. so i i don't get the sense that it's going to going to be a problem i, st- I still think it'll be a, a pretty good home field advantage to Saturday night, an Arizona team that, that that's coming from the warmest climate in the Pac-12 to uh, to 30 degree Pullman on a Saturday night. And I, I still think at Martin Stadium will will be relatively loud, and I think it'll be a, a tough place to win a game Saturday night either way. So Khalil Tate hasn't been the the same player he was last year. Mm-hmm. I think that changes Arizona a little bit. He hasn't run for a touchdown since uh, sec- the second week of the season. So I wonder if they're going to look a little bit different than they were last year. And I think that that might favor the Cougars uh, to a certain extent, but uh, you know, I, I, I still think it is something that you just probably, you probably keep in the back of your mind. And as a fan of the team, you, you, you kind of hesitate to think that, that maybe they could slip up in this game and, yeah. and overlook Arizona. But um, you know, I, I just don't have any evidence to, to think that it'll happen quite yet, but uh, I guess you play the game for a reason. Theo Lawson, the spokesman review. Thank you, sir, as always, for joining us. And enjoy the warm press box on Saturday while the rest of us plebes are downstairs dealing with the cold. Yeah, I'll enjoy my, my donuts and coffee. So, uh, yeah, it'll be nice. Up God, there. stop <laughs> rubbing it in. Jeez.
Thank you again to Mr. Theo Lawson for joining us from uh, his palatial Pullman estate. His journalists are all highly paid people who ride around in limos. They are not. It's <laughs> scrounge, and there's a reason why they take leftovers home for the press box, uh, press box buffet. There's a reason. Uh, Mike Gundy is the head football coach at Oklahoma State. He has been a coach at Oklahoma State in some form or another for a vast, vast majority of his coaching career. In fact, he played at Oklahoma State, so pretty much the only thing the guy knows is Oklahoma State football. That was a surprise to find on his Wikipedia page. Uh, And Mike has some thoughts about transfers, about player transfers, as we all know. Especially in basketball uh, recently, players transferring has become much more prevalent. Players have started to transfer a lot more, and the NCAA has started loosening the rules on transfers a bit. I believe you can't uh, you can't restrict inside of conference transfers anymore either, and I don't really like it when coaches do that. That's another topic entirely. Uh, but Mike Lee or uh, Mike Leach, Mike Gundy uh, had some things to say on. Was this was on uh, Monday about players transferring, and we'll get to the context of the person who's saying it after I read it to you. But here's what he said: "Quote: I think we live in a world where people are non-committal. We allow liberalism to say, 'Hey, I can really just do what I want, and I don't have to be really tough and fight through it.' You see that with young people because it's an option they're given. We weren't given that option when we were growing up. In the world today, there's a lot of entitlement." I'm a firm believer in the snowflake. I think it's setting it's I think it's setting there. And I'm not talking about Thabo. Thabo and I have had multiple good talks. That's one of the kids who just uh, left, by the way. I'm talking about every millennial young person. Generation Z, Generation Z, I think they call them. It's the world we live in. Because if they say, well, it's a little bit hard, we say, okay, well, let's go try something else versus, hey, let's bear down and let's fight and let's do this. So you see a lot of that nowadays, and that doesn't have anything to do with Thabo or Jalen McCleeski or anybody that's been on the portal here. By the way, those are the two kids that just transferred. We don't want to talk bad about them. That's just general in society. Even if you're looking down here at Walmart, your boss gets after you and tells you that you're not doing a good job. You may go home and cry and tell your mom, but your mom may say it's okay. That's just kind of the facts of life, the world we live in today. And here is just the cherry on top. Don't get me on politics. We, we do avoid this being a political tele, a political television show, political podcast. Um, and I, I'm not going to dive into all the things Mike Gundy has to say about my generation of people. Um, but, but here's the deal, Mike. You are paid an ungodly sum of money. I don't know exactly how much it is. I know it's in the multiple millions of dollars a year, probably around four or five, like most most major college coaches. You're paid an awful lot of money to supervise kids who are not paid. They are given a scholarship, which is the right to attend school for free in exchange for their work on the football field. And some would call that being paid. I would not. There is no exchange of money there. There is no, you do this for me, I give you money for doing it. 
So if kids want to use what little power they have, then what is the problem with that? You have so much damn power over these kids. And say it were me, I know I'm not going to play in the NFL. But I'm sick of taking Mike Gundy's crap. I'm sick of not seeing the football field. And even though my school's being paid for, I might like to go somewhere where my school can be paid for and I can play some football because I enjoy playing football. And I can have opportunities to start and maybe, just maybe, get a look from the NFL. Probably not, but maybe I will. There's no problem with that to me. I don't hold grudges against anybody who transfers from Washington State. You think you have a better opportunity to go play elsewhere? Go do it. Go. Please, go do it. Don't sit and wait around to maybe get a shot at Washington State because that's where you committed to. Because, by the way, we want to talk about a commitment thing here. You don't think Mike Gundy would cut a kid for not being any good? Take away a scholarship for not being any good? Coaches would do that crap all the time. And by the way, if Mike Gundy were ever looking for another job and he took it, is that not the same thing? We're running into a better situation, Mike? This is the problem with the power dynamic in college athletics. Coaches still, even with loosening of the rules from the NCAA, they still have a vast majority of the power. Oh, they don't bear down. It's a little bit hard. We'll go do something else. Yeah, Mike, if they don't like you and they're not playing like they thought they would, yeah, they're going to go somewhere else where they might have an opportunity to do that. And they're still going to get their school paid for and they're going to get the education that you promised them they're just going to get it somewhere else that might actually give them the other thing they want. There's no problem with that. And by the way, let's let's not even ring in the whole the boss getting after you at Walmart thing and all the, you know, you're not paid a lot of money at Walmart to let your boss yell at you. So, you want to leave that job, go find a better one, maybe go do that. But this, again, this is older coaches. Mike Gundy is 50 now, by the way. That, that I'm a man, I'm 40 rant is like a decade old. This is the power dynamic of older coaches. The way they did it. They were tough. They stick around no matter what. It's hard. We stayed. Yeah, well, whatever, man. <laughs> I just... What do, you, what do you want me to say? It's not as if my generation just looks at things and says, nope, that's hard, not going to do it. I switched career industries. I realized that what I was doing was wrong. It was bad. It was not good for my future. Does that make me weak for when it got tough, I gave up? Hell no. I realized that that situation was not good for me. That industry was not good for me and I got out of it. And we'll open up to you. We'll, get, we'll be on the therapist couch a little bit here. The new job is hard for me. I have to learn so much. And in, in everybody in there younger than me. It is weird. It is hard. The adjustments are difficult. But I know it's a better situation for me. 
So Mike, like, I'm sorry, dude. You're paid way too much money to look after kids who don't get paid anything at all to have that opinion. Because you know, you know, all your colleagues, maybe not you, because you're an Oklahoma State boy born and bred. So maybe not you, but all your colleagues, including the one here at Washington State, when they are offered more money, they tend to go take their dalliances elsewhere, you know, indulge in that dalliance. I don't know why I got really deep and guttural there. It's a contradictory point to me. Why can't the kids change jobs? Because it's not a job. It's not a job though, right? Why can't the kids change jobs, but the coaches can't? And leave all those kids behind that they promised so many things to. I'm just a man asking questions here, Mike. Dunderhead of the Week. Ask Michael anything coming up next. Underhead of the week time, and I admit uh, now that again I'm not to pound the point home the new job too much, but I am commuting via bus because it is infinitely easier from the West Seattle studios of Cook Center Hour to do that than drive a car downtown, uh, and a lot less expensive for that matter. Uh, so I've taken on a whole new perspective of uh, what is rude, you know, things that drivers do that are rude, uh, and I think this was on Thursday last week as I was taking the bus home. Uh, from work, and a driver decided that crossing 3rd Avenue, which if you don't know in Seattle is like the big bus thoroughfare during the morning and afternoon commute, that even though they couldn't make it all the way across the intersection on that green light, they were going to sit there in the middle of the intersection and wait for the traffic to clear through two cycles of the light with, and I counted, 13 buses waiting, and they were all full of people. The one person in that car decided that what they needed to do was more important than the, hell, I don't know, 700 or so people on those buses, or however many they can cram on them. Here's the deal. Don't get in the way of the big old buses that are taking people home. If you have made a mistake and you can't make it across the intersection, guess what that means? You get to turn and go down to the next block and try it again. Come back around, whatever else, because you are blocking a crap load of people from getting home. And I know me, at the end of my day, all I want to get home is to my beer fridge and to my Jubal Ale, and I would like to crack one open. And anyone who gets in the way of me doing that is sure to meet a swift end. This guy didn't, because, you know, I was listening to podcasts on my phone. And I was like on Twitter and stuff, so he didn't. But th- that that's the one time it doesn't happen. The one time nobody meets their 
Whatever I said. Swift end. That's what I said. With the, like, devil voice. So, yeah. The point remains. Don't block intersections with buses in them, please. We're all just trying to get home. Okay? And the buses, they don't smell very good. Ask Michael anything. Ask Michael anything. At WCougar08, Rick, who hates Coach Mike Leach more, Ken Go or John Wilner? <laughs> uh, I don't think I've ever heard Ken Go say a really nice thing about him. I'll go with that. And look, I, I understand that from a distance, Mike Leach is kind of fun at his press conferences and whatever else. Uh, but... Yeah, I can understand how covering him day-to-day would be kind of irritating. At Ryan Cowley, 18. He's, he's just kind of, after losses, he just kind of, he doesn't really want to answer questions, and it seems a bit off-putting to me. At Ryan Cowley, 18. Ryan Callahan, please don't hate me for this question. We're off to a roaring start. More likely to take a new job this offseason. Justin Wilcox or Mike Leach? Uh, I'd say Leach, honestly. Because uh, he was so close to taking that Tennessee job, and it took John Curie getting fired, we think, to have him not get it. And Justin Wilcox kind of still needs to get Cal going. They got a shot to win six games this year, but I don't know if you hire Justin Wilcox off of two years of kind of mediocre to kind of good Cal football. Uh, at Philip Maz, Philip Mazurik, is that how I say it? I don't know. What is your power ranking for Kook Center Riders? <laughs> uh. Me, and then everybody else. Obviously. Obviously. I'm not breaking any hearts here. I'm taking, I'm taking, the, I'm taking the easy way out on that one. They're all my favorite, Philip. They're all my favorite. They all mix a really good cocktail, too. At C.A. Anderson, 6789. Cameron Anderson, Fiesta lock if we beat Zona and then lose either the Apple Cup or Pac-12 Conference Championship game. Kind of seems that way anyway. I think the Fiesta Bowl would be pretty interested uh, in a 10 and 2 or a 11 and 2 Washington State team. Uh, you know, Alamo Bowl's possibility as well. But the Fiesta Bowl is wide open. They can take. I think they can take pretty much whoever they want to. And I, I would think that in any of those situations, Washington State is still ranked at the end of the season. You got to know they would travel well to it. So yeah, I think they'd probably take us. Uh, at Aram Gomez. Aram Gomez should. Uh, Kirk Schultz and Pat Chun ask for the WSU-USC game result to be nullified due to the interference of an unqualified third party. Good luck getting that done. Like, no, they shouldn't. I mean, it sucks, but no, no, they shouldn't. At WSU-Brady27, Megan Coughlin. Alright, we're not doing that anymore with Megan Coughlin, guys. Come on now. It's, it's been, I don't even know how long. It, too much time. When is it acceptable to start playing Christmas music? Day after Halloween, day after Thanksgiving, 1st of December, or other. Day after Thanksgiving's fine by me. Just give Thanksgiving its due. Just give it its due. That's all I ask for. It is a truly wonderful holiday. Just give it what it deserves. Washington State 45, Arizona 34. I think a shootout, and then Wazoo pulls away at the end. Again, stressing us all out, requiring a cocktail afterwards. We will see you guys in Pullman this weekend. Uh, buy me a beer if you run into me at Valhalla, okay?
Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. 